um, I, I it was um it just boggled my mind how that was possible and and the things that they did and the just the the uh, monotony to it and how they it, it just happened over such a prolonged period of time. Um, well, and that, and that's what kind of you know I have a pretty good connection with SAPD here. So I, when I went to the you know, to the, the sex crimes department, the lieutenant in charge had been a patient of mine and was a friend of my father's who you know, was retired SAPD. And you know he told me straight out, he said, if I heard this story from anybody else, I'd think they're crazy. But you had me my life in your hands, asleep on the table for surgery. I do anesthesia. Right. Uh, and he said, but you know, coming from you and your stories never changed and. You know, so they kind of they went through ice and and tried to see if any of this video, if they were videoing any of the sexual assaults and putting them anywhere. And uh, basically, the in the end, they basically it's it's almost kind of like this group of this former FBI guy is allowed to do it, wow. sort of. Which is like what I kind of wondered all along is, you know, if, if I went following people around and you know tampering with doors and standing around their front doors, you know, I'd be arrested pretty quickly. And these guys were so brazen. This wasn't surveillance from afar, or I kind of think that car is following me, or I kind of think that person's following me. These were people literally standing in front of our windows right until you would come walking down the sidewalk and they would run and jump in a car, or three cars following me, moving, jockeying around at, at two in the morning on a, on a weekday, you know, coming home from her house and shooting the finger at me when they would drive by or trying to block me in until I'd finally maneuver my way around. And, you know, the only good thing about being in Texas is what ended the stalking was when I finally, the sheriff came out to my house and said, you know what, you you live in a rural area. If it's nighttime and then on your property, shoot them. And this was not, there was not anything that was questionable about what was going on. So. Well, good for you for defending yourself. And I mean, obviously it sounded like you had to based on, what you experienced i mean that was just uh horrendous i couldn't believe the uh the levels that they went to but uh and we let's dive into some of that but okay first, uh, maybe we'll just start with some of these questions that i have laid out here paul and i put these together so um that's where they come from so it's kind of an overview but basically um why, why don't you just start by explaining what the problem is as you see it and uh, the ways in which classified technologies are being used on targeted persons kind of a general uh, well so. Well, from, from my experience, it, it seems to be a form of uh, remote neural monitoring is one of the terms we use for it. Um, the other term is psychotronic weaponry, weaponry that has been designed to interact with the human nervous system um, in order to remotely pick up on someone's um, neural network or EEG and only receive that and monitor it but manipulate it and place it back into the victim to control their emotions or control their actions or bodily functions for that matter. The other more recent term we have for that is EEG heterodyning or EEG cloning. The difference between EEG heterodyning and EEG cloning would be, um, let's say me remotely uh, receiving your EEG and then duplicating it and putting that in another person to give them your same thoughts or feelings or physical reactions. EEG heterodyning would be receiving your EEG, manipulating it to um, put it back inside your head 
to give us a desired um, physical reaction or emotional reaction. And, uh, and and exactly, I mean, give me an idea of how this technology works. I mean, I wish I could give you a good example of how it works. Uh, I know Robert Duncan worked on some of the projects. I mean, he claims it's a very complex, you know, mathematical situation that does it. The bottom line, though, at least from you know from what I've been told, is that it's mostly based on Robert Malik's patent. Uh, of remote remote neural monitoring in which he found that if you shoot two dissimilar frequencies into the human brain, that the human brain will actually create an interference frequency as it tries to um, duplicate the two dissimilar frequencies and the interference frequency that gets um, transmitted back out of your brain can be decoded and your EEG um, digitally manipulated out of that. Now, and that patent came out in like 1974. It was M-A-L-E-C-H, Robert Malik. Um, and it was actually invented as a way to monitor pilots. That way, if, uh, if you had a pilot that was falling asleep or a pilot that was starting to hallucinate, um, they could see that remotely and then stimulate the pilot to wake him up or to bring him out of a delusion, especially fighter pilots that are on, you know, continuously long missions. Um, it appears. and then stimulate the pilot to wake him up or to bring him out of a delusion, especially fighter pilots that are on, you know, continuously long missions. Um, it appears to be mostly being done in that way. Now, one of the more scary things that's come out, come to light lately is the way the NSA is monitoring our computer systems. And they're doing that with <clears throat> continuous wave radar, CWR and then stimulate the pilot to wake him up or to bring him out of a delusion, especially. And that patent came out in like 1974. It was M-A-L-E-C-H, Robert Malik. Um, and it was actually invented as a way to monitor pilots. That way, if, uh, if you had a pilot that was falling asleep or a pilot that was starting to hallucinate, um, they could see that remotely and then stimulate the pilot to wake him up or To bring him out of a delusion, especially fighter pilots that are on, you know, continuously long missions. Um, it appears to be mostly being done in that way. Now, one of the more scary things that's come out, come to light lately, is the way the NSA is monitoring our computer systems, and they're doing that with <clears throat> continuous wave radar, CWR. Um, in lately, there's <clears throat> lately there's been a uh, program of interdiction where, you know, the computers and, and smartphones and things are actually um, gotten before they actually reach our shores for sale and are uh, being implanted with uh, a particular type of implant. One of them is called a cotton mouth, at least for PCs. And that's a small chip that actually goes into the cord between the computer and the monitor. And when that chip is hit with continuous wave radar, it will begin to transmit up to eight kilometers away uh, whatever data is being sent from your computer to your screen. Um, it may be monitored in real time, or it may just be data that's collected um, 
you know, automatically without anybody actually watching it. But one of the thoughts that we have is that it might be continuous wave radar being used on humans as well. And if you see Jacob, Jacob Applebaum, some of his um, speeches and reports and, and exposure on this, he kind of alludes to um, some of Snowden's releases that the same technology that they're using on computers, they may be actually using on human systems as well. So Snowden leaked a lot of this this information about the gathering of tech, a gathering of information and sensitive uh, private information of individuals through you know cell phones and computers and even your search uh, engines and anything that you do on on social media networks. But um, what you're talking about is like EEG, um, you know, monitoring that is able to transfer brain patterns into you know verbal language like you know English. And then put it back in your brain. Is that is that right? Or yeah, essentially, yeah. And that is by definition what EEG heterodyning is. Um, like I said, it would be taking your basic EEG, receiving it, manipulating it, and spitting it back to you. And one thing that we found a long time ago within a lot of the neurologic studies is if you bombard the brain long enough with a certain frequency the brain receives that frequency and adapts to that frequency and begins to operate in that frequency. Um, and specifically with Malik's patent, if you're using two dissimilar frequencies and you get one hemisphere of the brain operating at one frequency, the other hemisphere at a different frequency, they create an interference frequency. Uh, and we know the brain transmits. That's why we can, we can actually look at an EEG. Now, traditionally in medicine, you know, we're using it with leads on the scalp. And that was the whole point of his patent is that you no longer actually had to have leads on the scalp, that it could be done remotely with radio frequency. Wow. Now that's not, that's not in some, the total of what these victims are experiencing. That's the monitoring and maybe some of the emotion manipulation. Um, also you can control the brain and making the body twitch or making the body do just about anything. Uh, since everything's controlled by the brain, but there also seems to be a directed energy component um, to the victimization of these people because most of them are also complaining, you know, eye burning, skin burning, and what would appear to be microwave energy-based weapons, body heating, um, most of those techniques used for sleep deprivation. Uh, almost all of the victims that I've spoken to uh, complain that the attacks seem to be worse at night and seem to be geared at actually sleep depriving them. Tell me more about how that technology works though, I mean. Well, um, the directed, in, well, directed energy weapons have been worked on for some time. And uh, if you look at the addendum, the Army's addendum to the uh, technology of non-lethal weaponry that came out uh, late 80s, um, they clearly talk about using direct microwave uh, energy as a weapon you know, we're already seeing that in the active denial system, millimeter wave system, silent guardian, um, which is a, a joystick controlled millimeter wave weapon that is actually being used experimentally in uh, at least one Los Angeles prison. Um, that way when prisoners get out of line, uh, a guard can actually manipulate the beam and, and burn the person until they get out of the way of the beam. Um, so that's been worked on, you know, for some time. Now, how it's being delivered possibly via satellite or being you know, delivered long range is classified technology that, you know, hopefully uh, will eventually get somebody that's a whistleblower to, um, to tell us more about how that's done. 
from what I've been told by some of my contacts that, that hearing voice attacked with directed energy. Um, of course, most of these victims that complain about it are immediately sent to a psychiatrist uh, who, who won't Google anything or won't look at any of their research. Um, but the directed energy component is, has been around for, for quite a while. Um, how it's being used on such a grand scale um, is yet to be seen. But it's been demonstrated that it can be used in short range, like over, uh, you know, kind of a satellite or being you know, delivered long range is classified technology that, you know, hopefully uh, will eventually get somebody that's a whistleblower to um, to tell us more about how that's done. From what I've been told by some of my contacts that, that a lot of this is being done, especially the weaponry by satellite, there's been other you know world leaders you know that have complained about hearing voices and being attacked with directed energy um of course most of these victims that complain about it are immediately sent to a psychiatrist uh, who, who won't google anything or won't look at any of their research um but the directed energy component is has been around for for quite a while um how it's being used on such a grand scale um is yet to be seen but it's been demonstrated that it can be used in short range, like over, uh, you know, kind of a, um, a network or within proximity to someone using, um, I mean, w whatever the techniques are and whatever the tools are, but it can be delivered like someone next door to you or outside in a car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're they've already well, like you've like I've said, you've seen the active denial system. Now it does, you know, that's basically mounted on a Humvee. Um, as far as what I've seen, a lot of victims complaining about possible handheld directed energy weapons that are being used on them by possibly by a neighbor or someone from a car. I I think most of what we're dealing with in the victim population is probably satellite based or or something much more remote than that. I know in my personal studies, I've actually taken victims uh, onto a ranch here in Texas where there's no power lines, there's no cell towers. Uh, you can you can do RF scans on the property and see that it's pretty clear. Um, and these victims still hear voices; they still get attacked. Uh, I've done the same thing by taking victims in a boat into the Gulf of Mexico um, to escape the possibility of it being handheld weapons or neighbors. They still hear voices; they still get attacked. And you know, some of my the victims I've talked to, they're uh, probably a little better explaining their situation, <clears throat> have even got on planes and flown to other countries. I had one victim who's pretty well off financially um, that actually flew to Cuba um, to try to get away from this and um, was still hearing voices and still being attacked even in Cuba. And, and just so you know, these are all people that, you know, were professionals, were educated, um, were functioning in society just fine. Uh, and most of them were between 30 and 40 when they first started getting victimized. Um, much older than you would typically see somebody all of a sudden come down with schizophrenia uh, and no reason to have all of a sudden developed an acute delusional disorder. Um, and I know in some of the questions I've been asked before is how do you uh, determine whether this is mental illness or this is somebody being victimized? And probably the biggest two
come in here to fucking McMorrow. And it ain't McChange from McFries and McChips. I'll cause you some serious fucking McPain. <laughs> because I'll be pissing in you, McSpeaker, and chucking a rock at your fucking McMenu. I'll McBack Mc out of here, and 25 other cunts can McBack. Or wear my bloody McTobar in that fucking McGrill. McFuck off out of here. I'll pinch every McServiette you McGot, put them in my McTruck, Keep me and McShits in the McBush for six fucking McMonks. And when you're on McGon, I'll McComplain. And when you McRefill them, I'll McSuck and McPitch them again. <laughs> it's my McRight. You put them out here, I'll fucking McTake them. You're only here for my McConvenience. Now, fuck my off back in there. And if I catch that Ronald McDonald hanging around my McKids, I'm McSmacking. He should be hanging around with McMichael McJackson. So he should be with his dirty, big, paddle-ass, fucking big, wide shoes. I'll rip him off him and paddle his fucking McForrad with him. Anyone that wears dirty, big, duck-ass shoes like that's a fucking clown. <laughs> I said, now you got the hide to try and McLaunch a McRib again in this McCutney. Three times you try to McLaunch a McRib in this McCountry. Australians won't McFall for that again. A McRib with no McBone? What do you think a McRib is? It's a McBone, you mad McFuck. <laughs> Giving us a turd soft little bit of McChemical McFuck and call it a McRib. It ain't got a fucking McBone. And make sure you get dimmers on your fucking McFluros. <laughs> in case I bring me family in here and I don't want to look at your bright coloured plastic McFuck. I'll dim you down. I'll fucking McDim you. And put plenty of McPickles on me McHamburger too in case I want to have a sleep in the bush and put them on me bloody eyes. <laughs> Go through your drive-in and order a big McSuck on me McNull. That's what I'll McOrder off you. Wonder McGee dear. Wonder McGee dear and wonder McSuck McOff with. Oh, McDo. Had your bloody big McFeast. I ate it. I ate the wrapping paper. There was no McFucking McDifference. <laughs> I'm sitting in McDonald's eating a stinking big McFeast and a fries. I look around. Who's sitting there? Pauline Hanson. I said to the manager, McManager, McBloody well, McGet over here. What's this woman doing in here? You already got one red-headed clown. <laughs> <laughs> what am I attracting fucking seals now? I'm so fucking funny I got the bloody marine life coming in to see me. Huh? I'm so fucking funny. I said, and what about that poor McBloke? Over in Mook America, be McSued you for seven million because he burned his McTongue on your McApple pie that looks like a bloody sausage roll or a, or a dog's dip. And that poor McWoman, she McScalded her McVagina with your McBoiling Hot McCoffee. Yeah, lucky the McTongue wasn't in the McVagina. Would have cost you McFarlane McFucking McMillionaire.
Now I'll get your friend to suck you off, mate. He's right next to you. Sitting down there doing a routine about hamburgers, and he looks up at me and says, Suck me off, Roger. Look, takes a certain amount of intelligence to appreciate a comedy concept, which means all these beautiful women here tonight, not only are they beautiful, they're all so intelligent, which means none of them are going to fucking want to meet you, blokes. None of them are going to fucking want to meet you. I'll tell you what you do. This is what, yeah, I know how to get. Mate, it's blokes like you are the reason I get so many roots. You're the reason. Women don't want to suck you assholes. You know me. what you do. This is what you do, right? You get a great big carload of people, right? Go through the McDonald's drive-in and order a dirty big McShit load of McShit. <laughs> and then you drive around the block, come back through the drive-in again, the girl says, can I take your order? You say, yes. Six big McMacs and three large McFries were McFuckin' McMissin' out of the McOrder. <laughs> They always go, they always do the same thing. They always go, are you sure? I did that order. Then you've got to lean right out of your car window and you go, are you calling me a fucking McLiar? <laughs> then you pinch your kids so they'll cry and cause more confusion. They always give them to you. Away you go with a dirty big free pile of McShit. Be a fucking McDogs. The customer's always fucking McRoy. <laughs> I'll tell you what kids like. You take the kids through the McDonald's drive-in and the girl says, can I take your honor? You say, yeah, four Kentucky dinner boxes. <laughs> kids piss themselves. <laughs> if I ever take kids through the drive-in, they start laughing before we get there because they know I'm going to order the wrong McShit just for our fucking amusement. Eh? You know how kids like to overdo everything? <laughs> I do too. Because <laughs> then you've got to take them to KFC. And the girl says, can I take your honour? Say, yeah, four Big Macs. She says, beg your pants, you heard me. Large pizza supreme. <laughs> Kids piss themselves. It's a great day out. My mate Nigel, I always talk about him because he's a true bloke. In fact, on, on my latest album, uh, the uh, second coming of Kev, Nigel uh, is on the album with me because we actually played together for 15 years in a band in Kalgoorlie. And uh, like most musicians, you, you tend to get bored with doing the same songs night after night, night after night. So we used to change them, you know, just fuck around backstage. We'd never do them out front, but backstage we used to fuck up something. And I just, I, John Denver was really, really popular at the time. I used to love fucking up John Denver songs, right? Because you only got to change one or two words in the song and you change the whole fucking song. You know? I'll give you an example. Here goes. Almost heaven, I've wet my finger. <laughs> How fucking easy is that?
the stuff that's no the line and even most psychiatrists would agree with me that true schizophrenic people are kind of those people that you know were never right um i mean they were they were weird kids they grew up into weird adults um but it typically schizophrenia does respond to medication you know it's the problem is once they're better on their medication is they feel like they don't need their medication and they come off of it then they go back into uh, acute schizophrenia um but with these victims a lot of them are being you know mandated into psychiatric treatment and they're taking medications that are that are geared for delusional disorder or schizophrenia or paranoid schizophrenia and they're still still being, being attacked and they're still hearing voices uh, one good case in point was another physician here in Texas it was a cardiologist that came to me for help um, and <clears throat> He uh, unfortunately went to the Texas Medical Board uh, and told them, I think I'm being victimized because I'm a physician. Have you guys ever heard of this before? They immediately called him in, suspended his license, um, put him through a month psychiatric stay um, with some legal help and several hearings. He got his license back, but is mandated to be on psychiatric medication. Uh, and talking to him after all this happened, he still has people parking in his driveway, shining bright lights through his house. He's still hearing voices and he's still being attacked with what he perceives to be directed energy, despite treatment. So uh, that's a pretty big discriminator. And this is a man who was in his 40s who had the, you know, the intelligence and the psychiatric stability to get through four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and six years of cardiology residency, you know, to all of a sudden it 45 or 46 becomes schizophrenic, at least in my mind, is an impossibility. Well, I want to talk more about the victims and 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 what kind of people they are and why they might be uh, being targeted. But um, let's talk a little bit more about some of the techniques that they use. Let's talk about some of the gang stalking that you mentioned and that you um, you yourself experienced in your book. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. The the uh kind of the old term or the term that was used online the most was gang stalking. Uh, I think in my book, I even refer to it more as organized stalking, um, mainly because the term gang stalking, um, people kind of envision, you know, kids in matching leather jackets or something out of the Warriors movie, um, which is not what this is. The It's truly organized stalking. These are uh, where you'll notice people unknown to you. These aren't people hired by a loved one or anything traditionally, or not an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, but all of a sudden you notice, you know, the same vehicles following you everywhere you go. Um, people standing around your front door, standing around work, uh, creating scenes in grocery stores around you where, you know, they may be talking to someone else, you know, within earshot of you, but talking about something you did or something you said to a loved one. And it's, geared to let you know that there are, are people that know your lifestyle and know the specifics of your lifestyle. Um, I think the organized stalking is done for two reasons. Um, for one, it's a psychological warfare. It puts the, the person in a victim mindset. Um, it also puts that victim down the pathway uh, to a mandated psychiatric stay because when they go around telling everybody that I'm being followed 24-7, um, by these people and, and sometimes they'll tell neighbors or, or tell loved ones that they're FBI when they're not. Uh, so the victim starts telling everybody that they're under some type of federal investigation or federal surveillance. 
when usually I think this is probably being done by private investigators. However, it's private investigators, usually with former CIA or former FBI experience, and which is why they're being allowed to access the technology. At least in, in the case here in San Antonio, it was the PI group that we identified here. Uh, it was a former FBI fraud investigator that opened up his own um, private investigative agency after he retired. He hired nothing but his family members and pretty much advertises corporate espionage and is the guy you turn to if you want to harass a, an ex-wife during a divorce proceeding to make her look crazy, um, possibly to get out of paying child support or get custody or kids or to get out of paying alimony. Um, the other, um, other than getting you down that pathway to a psychiatrist and putting in you a victim mind state, I think the other function um, of the organized stalking is to GPS you by vicinity. Most of these victims think they're chipped um, because they seem to be able to be tracked everywhere they go. And we have found a handful of chips in people, um, but by and large, after looking at thousands of MRIs and not only me doing some RF scans looking for chips, but uh, ISA ACT, uh, which is an organization I'm affiliated with, has actually uh, gone around the country actually scanning a lot of victims doing radio frequency scanning. And while we will find um, radio transmissions either emanating into or from the victim, when you image those sites, we're not typically finding chips, um, which leads me to believe that most of this is probably being done without any type of an implant. Well, the way you would do that in my mind would be to stalk that person and GPS them by vicinity um, until you can use whatever technology that is being used to remotely track them, you know, by their EEG. And there's other ways to remotely track someone by body imaging, by facial recognition. Um, I've heard some of the people talk about now DNA resonance, uh, which um, using continuous wave radar, if you bombard the human body with it, we all have a different DNA signature and that that can actually resonate and be received. So um, I, the, I think the organized talking serves two purposes, victim mindset um, as well as GPSing by vicinity. And a lot of this stuff actually happened to you personally. I mean, uh, in your book, you even mentioned some, um, some pretty um, unbelievable things that were happening regarding surveillance techniques, the, the taking of doors off of their hinges and, and taking apart with uh, elaborate cameras. Uh, in the book, I, that particular was um, it was doing some change and hold um, I live in a room with no home, so my house was pretty fair game for breaking and entering. It actually um, had. Uh, sheriff reports of at least 16 times they came out with my alarm going off due to the inside motion detector being activated. Um, they weren't kicking in the door. They were remotely opening my garage door coming through a, um, an attic access. So the alarm wasn't going off until they actually set off the motion detectors. Um, so when the police would get to my house, there was no bashed in door or broken window. So they would leave a note on the door saying that we, we looked at the perimeter and um, there appeared to be no breaking and entering. 
so, you know, get your alarm checked when the whole time they were coming, there were people inside my home. The girls actually storing much of my data and helping me do some of the typing of the book um, noticed that her doors were getting torn up. Her interior doors were being torn up. And then one day after slamming one of her doors, heard something knock inside the door. And these are the, the hollow type doors that have a cardboard honeycomb system in between two veneer panels. Um, so we opened up one of the doors to find that there was a, a nine volt battery attached to essentially a low end nanny cam that had been mounted to the top of a plastic piece glued to the inside of the door with a small pinhole drilled into the door where it could actually shoot from the door into the bedroom and then another one shooting from a door into the living room where she did most of the typing. Those also would pick up audio. Now that's real low end technology and that would require a car nearby to do or a, a neighbor nearby to do the reception. And in her case, um, just about every night around nine or 10 o'clock, a car would roll up in front of her uh, house and park on the curb with someone inside it that would sit there all night. And that's one of the other problems with organized stalking. As long as they don't come on your property, you can actually sit in a vehicle on the street, on the curb, however long you want. That's not illegal and the police can't help you with that. So let's talk about the targeted individuals. Why them? Why, why you, for example? Well, in, in my case, in the book, the, the girl that I was engaged to had kind of um, attracted the fancy of a, a, an older ear, nose, and throat surgeon in San Antonio who had told me several years ago that he had this former FBI that he referred to as the that did this barely legal harassment and his exact words, he said, I'm hiding him from my wife in case I ever need to use him to make her look crazy during a divorce. Well, at the time he told me that I kind of blew it off and, you know, thought, well, maybe this is just a guy that's just making himself look, you know, grandiose and probably a little bigger than life. Uh, until two years later, uh, when I was engaged to this girl who, I knew he had found attractive and we, and we had been on vacation with this guy and his wife before. This was a man and his wife who were well known to me. Um, and then when I noticed her being stalked, and like I said, I live in a rural area at the time, on it, it wasn't even a driveway, it was a gravel road through a ranch uh, to my home. And I would see her car leave the driveway at 2 a.m. And then immediately two more cars turn their lights on and follow her five miles up a gravel road to the nearest highway. I started following those vehicles, writing down the plate numbers. They all came back to this PI agency that he had told me about several years prior that he used to harass competitors, uh, corporate espionage type of stuff. Um, so she was strictly targeted you know, just basically by someone interested in sexually assaulting her which was what wound up happening with her. Now, most of the other victims I've, I've talked to, there almost seems no reason for their victimization. I, I have had a handful of whistleblowers uh, from government agencies that have came to me that are being targeted for being whistleblowers. But by and large, most of the victims seem to be randomly selected. And at least from a medical standpoint, being a physician and a researcher, 
this looks to me to be experimentation. It's, it's being done in every major city. It's being done methodically, like it's being done with a, a manual, uh, instruction manual. Most of these victims will kind of report the same scenarios that they're hearing in their heads, uh, report the same scenarios with the organized stalking and the same scenarios with the directed energy attack. So in, in my mind, it, on a grand scale, it's probably experimentation or continuation of MKUltra. Um, having had their hands slapped initially by the Rockefeller Commission and the church committee hearings, I think what they did was be a little more careful to farm this out to um, governmental or pr prior governmentally hired people who are now in private industry. Uh, so there's some plausible deniability when and if these people ever get caught. So, you know, they farmed out the technology to PI groups um, that are most of them probably owned by former FBI or former CIA people who are now operating as civilians, but being given access to government technology. Uh, it would appear to me that they're able to carte blanche select the victims however they want to, as long as the data goes back to the appropriate agencies at the top. So it seems like what, the stuff that Snowden uh, leaked out was really just the tip of the iceberg compared to this really high-tech surveillance that's going on that we know nothing about. Yeah, I think it was the tip of the iceberg. And you know, he has a lot more documents to release. Uh, so I'm wondering if some of this is eventually going to come around. Uh, you know, Russell Tice had alluded to some of this uh, when he was a whistleblower from the NSA. He had uh, initially mentioned that it wasn't just uh, phone calls going overseas that they were listening to, that they were listening to, you know, pillow talk between, you know, married men and their girlfriends and basically kind of gave the scenario that they knew specific times that they could tune into specific phone calls uh, and basically listen to, you know, married guys and their girlfriends as, as entertainment. Uh, and it's come full circle to where even the NSA admitted that they've caught a number of their agents using this technology and what they, what they kind of kiddingly refer to as love int instead of human intelligence, human signals, intelligence, SIGINT, love int, uh, where NSA agents are using this technology to spy on ex-wives or, or run the plate numbers and spy on girls that they possibly met or seen at a grocery store. And if you look at the way the victims spread out demographically, and there's been studies on this, freedom from covert surveillance and harassment, you know, has ongoing um, um, studies, you know, checking the data of demographically who's being victimized. 70% or so of the victims are female. And most of these people are not radicals. They're not politically inclined. Um, they're educated people that were functioning in normal jobs and having normal lives until one day they started hearing voices and being attacked and being stalked. Uh, and it seems to be intentionally a random sample. Well, I was just going to ask, I mean, how many of these people are dissidents or writers or whistleblowers themselves are involved in, um, you know, some know something about government policy or are involved in changing policy? Are, are any of them really? No, not many. Uh, that's, that's a definitely uh, the rare. Now, like I said, I've had a, a handful of people that fit that description. Most of the people are, are housewives, um, doctors, lawyers. I mean, I, trust me, I certainly didn't want to be, you know, the spearhead of this movement. You know, I'm, I'm a medical doctor 
was engaged to a girl who was a mortgage broker. You know, our plan was to be married and start a family and, and just live out the rest of our lives normally. Um, it was never, never planned in my life to have this book or my next book come out or deal with any of this and certainly not be um, the spearhead against any of it. Well, let's talk about who um, who's responsible. Who, who do you think is responsible for and for this? And you talked a little bit about the experimentation factor, but is there any other rhyme or reason to why they're doing this? Well, I mean, if if you look historically at the way MK Ultra started, um, they've been looking for a long time how to remotely control human beings. Um, with MK Ultra and the technology that existed at the time, you were kind of stuck with using you know, psychoactive drugs. Um, a lot of people were subjected to nine or a thousand, 900, a thousand times electroconvulsive therapy to try to wipe the slate of the brain clean and create Manchurian candidates. Um, you know, those were multiple sub projects. Um, the design of that, that study was, you know, I hate to say beautiful, but was so well done. I mean, they studied every facet of human behavior in MKUltra. You know, not all the subprojects were LSD and and brain chipping. You you've heard of some of the worst ones that dealt with that, but some of these other subprojects were watching kids on playgrounds to to study you know childhood human interaction. You know, watching you know adult men that use prostitutes to determine sexual interaction. Um, they studied every facet of human behavior, and then also the ones that you heard about that were giving psychoactive drugs or you and Cameron up at um, McGill University uh, using a combination of uh, electroshock therapy and convulsive drugs or um, brain chipping. Um, so it's been, it's actually started in the late fifties, you know, early sixties with MK ultra. Now, once, you know, they got their hand slapped and at uh, the Rockefeller commission, you know, a lot of information came out in Freedom of Information, and there's been some really good books written on MKUltra based on what the government released in Freedom of Information. Well, most of these subprojects, you know, found success. You know, the research didn't stop. The freedom flow of Freedom of Information certainly stopped, but the research continued under different names, under different operation names, and certainly with um, them being a lot more careful as far as how anyone would actually pick up on the fact that it's experimentation. So at least in my mind, when you have, you know, estimated 300,000 people voicing identical complaints of hearing voices, voice to skull, directed energy weapons attack, um, and what would appear to be a random sample, it's gotta be experimentation. And the only place I can see that going is figuring out you know, long-term study, because most of these victims have been victimized for 10 years or more. From a medical perspective with this technology, you would want to know how quickly you can degrade someone's psychiatric status, how, how quickly you can degrade someone's lifestyle to control them. And more than that, you would want to know, are there any weird cancers or any weird illnesses that are going to be caused by chronic bombardment with extremely low frequency waves, you know, or any other radio frequency waves or continuous radar. Um, that's going to be real important to know if this technology is being developed eventually to control the masses, you have to make sure that there's not going to be any weird cancers, thyroid cancers, leukemias, brain tumors, or anything that are going to arise from it. 
And that's the only reason I can see that some of these victims have been victimized for over a decade because their lives are destroyed usually with, within a year of being uh, having this technology used on them. So why continuously um, experiment on them would only be to find out medical data from chronic exposure. So what is their end game? What, who benefits? And, um, you know, what, what's their purpose for, for doing this? You know, you know? Well, I mean, I, I, I think the purpose, as I said, if you look back historically, they've been looking for a way to control the masses. And when the technology got to the point where directed energy could be used remotely um, with weaponry that actually can manipulate the human nervous system, I think the end game is mass cancers, thyroid cancers, leukemias, brain tumors, or anything that are going to arise from it. And that's the only reason I can see that some of these victims have been victimized for over a decade, because their lives are destroyed usually with, within a year of being uh, having this technology used on them. So why continuously um, experiment on them would only be to find out medical data from chronic exposure. So what is their end game? What, who benefits? And, um, you know, what, what's their purpose for, for doing well, I mean, I, I, I think the purpose, as I said, if you look back historically, they've been looking for a way to control the masses. And when the technology got to the point where directed energy could be used remotely um, with weaponry that actually can manipulate the human nervous system, I think the end game is mass population control. Um, in an in interview probably about a year ago, Vladimir Putin actually admitted that um, the Russia has well I mean I, I I think the purpose as I said if you look back historically they've been looking for a way to control the masses and when the technology got to the point where directed energy could be used remotely um, with weaponry that actually can manipulate the human nervous system I think the end game is mass population control um, in an in a interview probably about a year ago Vladimir Putin actually admitted that um, the Russia has been working on psychotronic weapons for quite some time. Um, none of our media picked up on that. Uh, the only person that at least contacted me to make a comment against what he said was El Spectador, which is a, a newspaper, a news agency out of South America. But Putin said that whichever country controlled the best psychotronic weapons would control the globe without bullets or missiles. You control the decision making. You don't need bullets or missiles. So, what can we do to protect? Can we? Are there are there tools to monitor, for example, um, microwave frequencies that are being emitted in a certain area or on an individual? And and how do we protect? How how can one protect themselves against? Well, mo most of the victims that I've talked to are looking for shielding methods. Um, it would appear that most of this is being done with extremely low frequency waves, uh, which are not easily shielded. Um, you can shield those in a very anechoic chamber. Um, with ISA Act, um, we actually put people to Belgium as to a uh, scientific uh, research anechoic chamber. People did find some relief in the chamber, and we did notice some attenuation of the signals that 
Uh, we're either coming off of them or going into them while in the chamber. And these people were victims that were studied next to controls um, that we monitored. And the controls who had never experienced any type of electronic harassment showed up negative. Um, the victims actually still showed up positive. It did seem to be attenuated in a very well-made research anechoic chamber. Unfortunately, that's beyond the, the, the um, affordability of most of these victims. So shielding, I don't think, is going to be the way to go with that. Uh, what we need is education of the public. Um, once the most of the public understands that this type of weaponry exists, uh, it would be hard to degrade someone's life because they're they're going to know not to run to people telling people that they're under a federal investigation or under federal surveillance. Uh, hopefully, avoid uh, any psychiatric diagnoses, which secondarily victimize the victim. <clears throat> As far as an end game to this, um, education, public exposure, awareness, and socio-political change. Um, unfortunately, we've come to a point in government where we have government that's grown too large. Uh, it's no longer as people to fear the people. The other way around now, the people fear the government. We have a government that's out of control. Um, and it's gonna take uh, people at least going to the, the polls and using their um, election um, choices to get people back in government with some ethics and some morals. Um, I think most of the Congress people know this exists. Uh, most of these victims immediately send letters to their respective congresswomen and congressmen. Uh, most of them return back with letters saying that they've never heard this or they don't think it's going on or even at worst getting letters returned to them recommending they see a psychiatrist. Dennis Kucinich mentioned this type of technology uh, in a legislation he wrote for non-weaponization of space. Before the actual um, bill made it to Congress, all of the, um, the um, writing uh, and um, references to psychotronic weapons, which were in, it, in the initial bill, were taken out. Uh, even with that taken out, the bill didn't pass. Congress wouldn't pass the bill uh, to, uh, to not weaponize space. Um, the other big thing in this country is we don't have legislation against experimentation by the government. We have a legislation called the common rule that's supposed to protect citizens from governmental experimentation. However, there's so many loopholes in the common rule that it's very easy for um, black budgeted intelligence agencies to have this type of experimentation with no known institutional review board uh, and nobody overseeing the research. Um, John Glenn, who was a senator, tried to pass a bill making informed consent an absolute requirement for any federally funded research or experimentation, and Congress shot it down. They wouldn't pass it. <clears throat> you may remember a couple of years back, they had the Bioethics Commission's hearing. I spoke at one of those hearings. Um, when the press released the fact that the Guatemalans had been experimented on similar to the Tuskegee experiment with gonorrhea and syphilis, weaponized forms of gonorrhea and syphilis. Um, it wasn't until that had media exposure that Obama appointed the Bioethics Commission. And their job was to find out if any non-consensual experimentation funded by the government was still ongoing in our country or abroad. There were four meetings at each one of those meetings, there were well over 100 people in the public forum. 
almost all of the people in the public forum and were, forum were complaining of electronic harassment, directed energy attack, and hearing voices. Unfortunately, the people he appointed to the actual board to hear it were mostly apologists, bioethicists from Harvard and Yale. I was the only person that actually got up there and pointed out the loopholes in the common rule that allows for non-consensual experimentation. And some of the writing in that legislation is, is such that it essentially says that it's okay to perform the experimentation as long as the experimentees are notified after the fact. Uh, and typically that's what you've seen done with our government. We, we did it with radiation experiments. Uh, when we you know, flew radioactive clouds of iodine over major cities to see how quickly people would get thyroid cancer. As people came in reporting sickness, they were told they were crazy. Well, then when Clinton got to office, we had the Acre hearings, uh, and he made all of these agencies put forward their data, and lo and behold, these people weren't crazy. They were getting leukemia, they were getting thyroid cancer, and they were getting radiation sickness, and that came to light. Same thing with the Tuskegee experiment, the syphilis study. These men were infected intentionally with syphilis, denied treatment for a lifetime, passed on that infection to their wives, their girlfriends, and their children who passed on syphilis to their children. And it wasn't until there was some media exposure 40 years into the experiment um, that this was done. Well, then the surviving members and surviving family members got a lame apology from the government. That's typically what our government has always done. Do the experimentation. Once the media brings it to light, give the survivors an apology. And that's one of the things that we're hoping to avoid with electronic harassment and this experimentation is bring it to an end while the victims are actually still around to show up at a hearing. Well, I think that's, uh, that covers pretty much everything that um, I wanted to discuss. We kind of went in a, in a little bit of a circle there, but I think we covered all the data. And is there anything else that you want to you wanna say in, in wrapping up? Or? No, not that I can think of. I mean, it, there is so much stuff coming out. I mean, it, even the, the book that I have in editing right now that will hopefully be released here in another month or two, um, no sooner did I get it electronically sent off to my publisher when all of a sudden, you know, here's three more news stories that come out about some more graphic stuff from the NSA. Um, now, one thing I will say, while MKUltra was mostly a CIA program, I think probably a lot of this being done today is probably NSA-based. Um, the NSA does seem to be focusing more of their attention on, on some of these more exotic weapons. So, and how many terrorists has, have they actually... Uh caught as a result of this oh yeah you're you're the with all the surveillance that's going on they seem to be surveilling us mostly you know none of none of this surveillance seems to be curtailing uh terrorism and and i actually mentioned that in in my next book guinea pigs you know that uh while they're passing most of this off as a national security issue um you know we're not catching any terrorists you know the the middle east is on fire it's almost all of those countries are back under radical hands. Um, they all hate us. And it's, you know, your, your chances of dying in a car crash going to work is one in 30. Your chances of dying from a terrorist bomb is damn near one in a million. So. Yeah. What are you really going to be worried about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's easy to scare the public 
um, with terrorism, terrorism and terrorist bombs. Uh, but we're giving, yeah, but we're, we're giving away our civil rights. Um, we're giving away our privacy to protect ourselves from a boogeyman that I think is just, uh, really non-existent. And now it seems to be the increase in gun violence is another direction to, uh, take away more of our, our, our civil liberties and our, our freedoms. Well, and some of the gun violence that we're seeing, um, you know, if you look at the Aaron Alexis uh, thing, the Aaron Alexis went and, and shot up the Navy Yard. You know, he had emailed freedom from surveillance and harassment uh, several times, asking for help and complaining about the, and, and complaining about the sleep deprivation mostly. And uh, you know, he worked in the IT sector. Um, he was familiar with this this weaponry. He knew it was extremely low frequency wave weaponry, which is why he etched that on the side of the shotgun. Um, my personal belief with Aaron Alexis is I think they intended him to shoot up the airport in Norfolk uh, where he initially had an outbreak. He was walking by, he thought were um, making obscene gestures and obscene comments to him. And he went off on those people and he was detained and arrested there temporarily, uh, for acting out in the airport. Well, then it came, he came to the realization that those people weren't actually saying anything to him, that what he was hearing was hearing it. He was hearing in his head that was being transmitted to him. Um, if you look at that scenario, it wasn't not, not long after that, we did have an airport shooting in LA uh, that again was someone that was hearing voices and had actually voiced complaints of suspected mind control. Um, when he went and shot up the Navy yard, I don't think that was their intent. I think their intent was for him to go get a little bit more violent in the airport due to the fact that he etched, this is my elf wave weapon on the side of his shotgun. Uh, I think the shooting at the Navy Yard is where he perceived the research was being done uh, on some of this weaponry and was actually a, a vengeance shooting, uh, not him being controlled uh, to be a controlled assassin at the Navy Yard. Well, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's frightening. Um, a lot of good information there, John. I appreciate you, uh, sure. you exposing some of this stuff. and. Uh, for helping me out with uh, with answering some of these questions. I appreciate that. Well, and you know, Paul Baird's been at this a long time. His website's been up for years, you know, and this is, this is a global problem. I mean, it's, you know, we're making a lot of noise about it and trying to get exposure in the United States, but I get emails from just about every country in the world uh, with people complaining about this. And, and, and at least from a medical perspective, you know, for a psychiatrist or for a medical doctor that maybe sees one person in their practice that's complaining of this, it's real easy to see it as mental illness. But when you dive into it a little deeper, like I have, and you're really seeing the vast numbers of people globally that are having not similar, but identical complaints, then it's clear as day that there's something more to it. So. Yeah, there definitely appears to be. So, um, that's great. I appreciate you uh, you helping us with this. All right. Thanks, Jeff. When, when I wrote the book, you know, I kind of did my own searches and, and talked to some connections that I had within the CIA. 
and just to verify exactly what the how this technology works they they wouldn't go as far as admitting putting voices in the heads they had no problem admitting the directed energy capability mm -hmm. and um and started looking around and prior to my book there was you know a couple of books where people had mentioned it in passing but you know nobody with you know really any credentials so when i wrote the book i figured half the people that read this are going to think i'm just as crazy as the victims you know but if it reaches a few people and convinces them that this is otherwise then i figure it's done its job and it seems to have done that i've got a, a second book that's in editing right now called guinea pigs uh technologies of control which is the history of how it became and you know kind of what is probably going to be the only way out of it so because everybody to do anything about it you know it's i can see that would be the case well i have a copy of your book here and, and uh and i've read it and um you know i found it fascinating especially um well i mean i i thought the background into the technology was really good it was pretty thorough and um it, it really opened my eye i my eyes to the capabilities that are uh, available out there but what just blew my mind was just your personal narrative in here and what you went through i love to touch on some of this stuff um you know during the interview as well so feel free to reference that if you like okay i just um I, I it was um it just boggled my mind how that was possible and and the things that they did and the just the the uh, monotony to it and how they it, it just happened over such a prolonged period of time um, well and that and that's what kind of you know i have a pretty good connection with sapd here so I, when I went to the, you know, to the, the sex crimes department, the lieutenant in charge had been a patient of mine and was a friend of my father's who you know, was retired SAPD. And, you know, he told me straight out, he said, if I heard this story from anybody else, I think they're crazy, but you had me, my life in your hands asleep on the table for surgery. I do anesthesia. Right. Uh, and he said, but, you know, coming from you and your stories never changed. And, you know, so they kind of, they went through ice and, and tried to see if any of this video, if they were videoing any of the sexual assaults and putting them anywhere. And uh, basically the, in the end, they basically, it's, it's almost kind of like this group of this former FBI guy is allowed to do it sort of, which is like what I kind of wondered all along is, you know, if, if I went following people around and, you know, tampering with their cars and standing around their front doors, you know, I'd be arrested pretty quickly. And these guys were so brazen. This wasn't surveillance from afar, or I kind of think that car's following me, or I kind of think that person's following me. These were people literally standing in front of our windows right until you would come walking down the sidewalk and they would run and jump in a car, or three cars following me, moving, jockeying around at, at two in the morning on a, on a weekday, you know, coming home from her house and shooting the finger at me when they would drive by or trying to block me in until I'd finally maneuver my way around. And, you know, the only good thing about being in Texas is what ended the stalking was when I finally, the sheriff came out to my house and said, you know what, you, li you live in a rural area. If it's nighttime and then on your property, shoot them. And this was not, there was not anything that was questionable about what was going on. So, well, good for you for defending yourself. And I mean, obviously, it sounded like you had to based on what you experienced. I mean, that was just uh, horrendous. I couldn't believe the uh, the levels that they went to. But 
Uh, and we, let's dive into some of that. But okay. First, uh, maybe we'll just start with some of these questions that I have laid out here. Paul and I put these together, so um, that's where they come from. So it's kind of an overview, but basically, um, why don't you just start by explaining what the problem is as you see it and uh, the ways in which classified technologies are being used on targeted persons, kind of a general. <sighs> well, well, from, from my experience, it, it seems to be a form of uh, remote neural monitoring is one of the terms. Um, the other term is psychotry weaponry that has been designed to interact with the human nervous system um, in order to remotely pick up on someone's um, neural network or EEG and not only receive that and monitor it, but manipulate it and place it back into the victim to control their emotions or control their actions or bodily functions for that matter. The other more recent term we have for that is EEG heterodyning or EEG cloning. The difference between EEG heterodyning and EEG cloning would be, um, let's say me remotely uh, receiving your EEG and then duplicating it and putting that in another person to give them your same thoughts or feelings or physical reactions. EEG heterodyning would be receiving your EEG, manipulating it to um, put it back inside your head to give us a desired um, physical reaction or emotional reaction. And, uh, and exactly, I mean, give me an idea of how this technology works. I mean, I wish I could give you a good example of how it works. Uh, I know Robert Duncan worked on some of the projects. I mean, he claims it's a very complex, you know, mathematical situation that does it. The bottom line, though, at least from you know, from what I've been told is that it's mostly based on Robert Malik's patent um, of remote remote neural monitoring in which he found that if you shoot two dissimilar frequencies into the human brain, that the human brain will actually create an interference frequency as it tries to um, duplicate the two dissimilar frequencies and the interference frequency that gets um, transmitted back out of your brain can be decoded and your EEG um, digitally manipulated out of that. Now, and that patent came out in like 1974. It was M-A-L-E-C-H, Robert Malik. Um, and it was actually invented as a way to monitor pilots. That way, if, uh, if you had a pilot that was falling asleep or a pilot that was starting to hallucinate, um, they could see that remotely and then stimulate the pilot to wake him up or to bring him out of a delusion, especially fighter pilots that are on, you know, continuously long missions. Um, it appears to be mostly being done in that way. Now, one of the more scary things that's come out, come to light lately is the way the NSA is monitoring our computer systems. And they're doing that with <clears throat> continuous wave radar, CWR. Um, in lately there's <clears throat> lately there's been a uh, program of interdiction where you know the computers and and smartphones and things are actually um, gotten before they actually reach our shores for sale and are uh, being implanted with uh, a particular type of implant one of them is called a cotton mouth at least for PCs and that's a small chip that actually goes into the cord between the computer and the monitor 
And when that chip is hit with continuous wave radar, it will begin to transmit up to eight kilometers away uh, whatever data is being sent from your computer to your screen. Um, it may be monitored in real time, or it may just be data that's collected um, you know, automatically without anybody actually watching it. But one of the thoughts that we have is that it might be continuous wave radar being used on humans as well. And if you see Jacob, Jacob Applebaum, some of his um, speeches and reports and, and exposure on this, he kind of alludes to um, some of Snowden's releases that the same technology that they're using on computers, they may be actually using on human systems as well. So Snowden leaked a lot of this this information about the gathering of tech, a gathering of information and sensitive uh, private information of individuals through you know cell phones and computers and even your search uh, engines and anything that you do on on social media networks. But um, what you're talking about is like EEG, um, you know, monitoring that is able to translate the brain patterns into you know verbal language like you know English and then put it back in your brain is that is that right or yeah essentially yeah and that is by definition what eeg heterodyning is um like i said it would be taking your basic eeg receiving it manipulating it and spitting it back to you and one thing that we found a long time ago within a lot of the neurologic studies is if you bombard the brain long enough with a certain frequency the brain receives that frequency and adapts to that frequency and begins to operate in that frequency. Um, and specifically with Malik's patent, if you're using two dissimilar frequencies and you get one hemisphere of the brain operating at one frequency, the other hemisphere at a different frequency, they create an interference frequency. Uh, and we know the brain transmits, that's why we can, we can actually look at an EEG. Now, traditionally in medicine, you know, we're using it with leads on the scalp. And that was the whole point of his patent is that you no longer actually had to have leads on the scalp, that it could be done remotely with radio frequency. Wow. Now that's not, that's not in some, the total of what these victims are experiencing. That's the monitoring and maybe some of the emotion manipulation. Um, also you can control the brain into making the body twitch or making the body do just about anything. Uh, since everything's controlled by the brain, but there also seems to be a directed energy component um, to the victimization of these people because most of them are also complaining, you know, eye burning, skin burning, and what would appear to be microwave energy-based weapons, body heating, um, most of those techniques used for sleep deprivation. Uh, almost all of the victims that I've spoken to uh, complain that the attacks seem to be worse at night and seem to be geared at actually sleep depriving them. Tell me more about how that technology works though, I mean. Well, um, the directed, in, yeah. uh, directed energy weapons have been worked on for some time. And uh, if you look at the addendum, the Army's addendum to the uh, technology of non-lethal weaponry that came out uh, late 80s, um, they clearly talk about using direct microwave uh, energy as a weapon. You know, we're already seeing that in the active denial system, millimeter wave system, Silent Guardian, um, which is a, a joystick controlled millimeter wave weapon that is actually being used experimentally in uh, at least one Los Angeles prison. Um, that way when prisoners get out of line, uh, a guard can actually manipulate the beam and, and burn the person until they get out of the way of the beam. 
Um, so that's been worked on, you know, for some time now, how it's being delivered possibly via satellite or being you know, delivered long range is classified technology that, you know, hopefully, uh, we'll eventually get somebody that's a whistleblower to, um, to tell us more about how that's done from what I've been told by some of my contacts that, that a lot of this is being done, especially the weaponry by satellite. There's been other, you know, world leaders, you know, that have complained about hearing voices and being attacked with directed energy. Um, of course, most of these victims that complain.